and amen, and amen. If you're visiting with us today, we want to especially welcome you to Grace Bible Church. And uh, if outside on your way out, there's a table there by the front door that is a welcome table, and you can stop by there, and we'd love to be able to give you a small gift, just a way of appreciating you for being here today. And uh, there's a tear-off flap in the bulletin. If you want to leave that information there, you can be added to the mailing list, and uh, we'd love to keep you up to date on what's going on around here. Uh, we do have a few announcements. It's uh, a season of time where not only is it Christmas, but it's also a time to sign up for life groups that start in January. And so uh, we would uh, sincerely hope that each and every adult uh, at Grace Bible Church that says this is their home church would be involved in a community of believers and journey together with a community of believers to express the gospel and to have friends and to belong. And uh, the way we do that here is through life groups. So please sign up. Uh, there will be a table out there. Uh, for life groups that are restarting again in January. Also, there's a Christmas party tonight. How many of you like Christmas parties? Well, that's Yeah, okay, good, yeah. All the way from the back row, I like that. Uh, we're going to have a Christmas party tonight. We're going to meet here at 4.30, and we're going to divide up into three mission teams and go out to uh, different uh, nursing homes in town and just bring Christmas joy to them, and we're going to carol and sing. And uh, I just want you to know there's no experience required. It's not even required that you carry a tune very well, okay? We'll have people there that can carry a tune. And uh, just come and enjoy the fellowship. Parents, I hope you bring your kids. Uh, the residents love kids, youth. Uh, so please come tonight at 4.30, and then we meet back here for a potluck. Just bring whatever you want to share, and uh, you can drop it here before we take off. That'd be great. Also, Christmas Eve services, uh, just a week from Wednesday, I guess. And so I hope you'll be in prayer about who God may lead uh, you to invite. Our services are going to be at 4 and 6. Uh, they'll be about one hour each. And they close with a candlelight service. It's a beautiful time to be together. Hope it's part of your family's Christmas. Um, also, we each month give out food baskets to Cypress Creek Apartments in Mariposa just down the road. And uh, we try to do it uh, in a big way at Christmas time. And we've always been able to have many, many uh, bags of food and uh, gift cards. Uh, grocery gift cards, and so if you'd like to participate in that, the ministry that that is is next Sunday, so when you're getting uh, groceries this week, grab a few extra things and bring it for those food baskets that will be delivered uh, the following week, so that's next Sunday. Also, this season of the year is when the church elders, uh, the board comes to you and says, we have names that we'd like to present to you as uh, elder candidates, and I'm going to present the names and then explain the process a little bit. There's two names that we want to bring to you today, and they are Dave Becerra and Les Carter, and we're going to put their pictures on the screen there. So in case you're not familiar with them, you may be able to see uh, their face. And um, Dave would be a new elder. He's not served as an elder here at this church, uh, and Les is, would be a returning elder. He has served here before. But we present those names to you today, and the way we do it is that uh, the names are uh, presented to the congregation for a couple of weeks, and we would like to hear from you. Uh, you can uh, communicate with one of the existing elders about uh, your either reservations or commendation of these and uh, confirmation, and we just would love to have the body of Christ affirm these men and uh, their ministry here. And so uh, please make it a point to communicate with us. That would be wonderful and great. This is our final message today from the book of Galatians. And uh, I want you to know personally that it's been a, uh, a, an amazing journey for me. 
I don't think I've ever in my ministry actually walked through and preached through the book of Galatians, and it's been a um, uh, personal, wonderful journey for me to be able to dig into the book and really see how God wants to use it in my life. Uh, the book, as you've seen throughout the series, is a, it's just a direct shot at law-based religion and adding law-based religion to the grace of God and saying, it's okay that Jesus Christ saved me, but not only did, is that required also, there is this law-based tradition that I must follow in order to be justified before God and be uh, seen as right with God. And Paul comes in here and he continually kind of hammers away through these six chapters at that whole idea because of his great love for the people that live in this region of Galatia and these different churches in that region. He just loves them so much and he sees the destructiveness of adding things to the grace of God. And so he speaks in very harsh sometimes language to get through to the church of that day that no, it's grace and grace alone. The only way you're going to be right with God is to depend fully and trust fully in the cross of Jesus Christ. You're never to place confidence in the flesh, which represents your efforts. You know, sometimes we get a little confused about the flesh. We think it's the sin. Well, flesh actually just means living apart from God. It is that part of you that wants to please God apart from God or that part of you that wants to please self apart from God. And it really is incapable of producing fruit, spiritual fruit. As hard as it will try, as dressed up as it tries to get, it really is void of power, spiritual power. It cannot please God. So let's look at these last few verses in Galatians 6, starting with verse 11. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. <laughs> this is the Apostle Paul uh, saying these things. And um, he, had, he used scribes uh, with good handwriting to scribe and write down his letters. And then often at the end of a letter, he would say, I'm going to take the pen now to know that it's personal. It's my direct common communication to you. And so uh, he feels compelled to say, this is my own writing and um, this is my personal handwriting and it's kind of large letters that I have to use. Uh, verse 12, those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised simply so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. But may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause trouble for me, for I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brethren. Amen. Throughout the book, we've seen this really two sides of Paul. One corrective side, just speaking bluntly about the infiltration of the law. And on the other hand are these tender words of brethren and brothers and expressing my deep love for the church. 
In verse 12, he makes the comment that there are people who desire to make a good showing of the flesh, to make their flesh look good. One of the Greek resources I use uh, talks about this phrase. It says, and it defines it this way, it says, to make a good showing, particularly with regard to outward appearances. It's the wish to show off. It's the wish to show off. The flesh just wants recognition. It, in this passage, we see so many different things from, about the flesh. And uh, uh, we're just going to talk about the flesh. It's a little unseemly uh, subject, but, well, let me ask you, have you ever dealt with the flesh? Uh-huh. The first thing that we learn about the flesh here is this. The flesh wants others to notice its good deeds. The flesh wants others to notice its good deeds, and you see we put good deeds in quotes. Because are they really good? (laughs) Are they just made to look good? You know, when I thought about an illustration that I might use in my own life to communicate to you, the flesh trying to make itself look good, I want you to know I had literally thousands of choices to choose from but I'm only going to give you one okay I was traveling with a singing group in college and we traveled and it was a male quartet I was one of the tenors and um, we would travel and do concerts in churches and and camps mainly camps of high school kids trying to entice them and encourage them to come to the college that we were representing and there was one song that we sang that year that I had the solo on, and um, it was kind of the song that the, the concert would flow to, and it was kind of that climax song. And even the song itself had this one part that was the kind of the climax of the song, and it was an extremely high note, even for a tenor. And I kept working on that, working on that note, and it just wasn't coming. And so we altered the melody line so that I could actually sing the song and just kind of leave out that one note and alter it. And, you know, I would get a razz from the guys in the group. They would go, come on, are you a real man? Go for it, you know. Come on, let's get this going. It, it just The song lacks without that note. Come on. And so we were at a camp in uh, South Texas, and there were a couple of hundred high school kids out there. And I said to myself, you know, a man's got to be a man. I'm going for it. There's no turning back. And I tell you, that song wound up, and, you know, I was really thinking to myself, the Holy Spirit is really going to use me today. This high note is just really going to just put these kids over the edge. We're going to have streams of kids coming down the altar to give their life to Christ tonight. This is just, I've got to do this for God. And we got to that part of the song, and I went for that note. I tell you what. And I splattered that note all over that crowd that night. I I look back on it, it was kind of like I musically threw up on them, you know. It really was. And you would expect, I think about the the faces of those kids that night, and you would think, well, they they might feel pitiful, uh, pity for me or sorrow for me. But I look out there, and I just saw sheer fear in their eyes. It was just like, what is happening? What is happening to us? This is not good. 
And I remember after that time just being devastated that my flesh was not able to be good for God and to be so honorable to God. And I felt like I just failed God. And guess what? My flesh had failed. And it was not because I missed the note, but why? Because it was my flesh trying to look good. I don't know, maybe you could tell your own story about where the flesh was put on and you said, you know, I'm going to really do something good for God. I want... I'm here to tell you there's one motivation that, self, that uh, the flesh has, and it is self. It is self. You can do a lot of ministry out of the flesh, and your real motivation is self. You want recognition, or you want a pat on the back, or influence, power. We always have to be checking our motives. Because we have been conditioned and become so adept at making our flesh with its selfish motivations look really spiritual. Which is what the Pharisees did. We can minister and serve out of the flesh, but we always have to remember there's no spiritual fruit. It's a waste of time. You know, in verse 12, it also says that these Jews wanted the new Christians to be circumcised so that they would not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. There's a couple of things we learned from that phrase. The first of this is uh, the flesh desires control over others. It says also that uh, we want you to be circumcised so we can boast in your flesh. We want to say to our other friends over here who maybe aren't Christians, but they're our Jewish brothers from which we've grown up with, and we want them to know that, yes, we're compelling the new Christians to come along with the Jewish program. These people who have become followers of Christ but want to incorporate the law, they just can't see those Christians over there totally free and not having to line up with the law. The flesh cannot stand seeing people misbehaving in its opinion. Because after all, if I need to live up to these standards, guess what? So do you. So do you. And when the flesh sees somebody out of line, it feels compelled to report them. It's for their own good, by the way, you know. They need to learn a lesson. And in the church today, the flesh is often expressed in terms of moralism. It's a, it's a word that we have for that. And it's, it's where the church comes up with rules or standards of uh, behavior that we say, if you're going to be a good Christian, you're going to look like this. And sometimes there's a fine line between the motivation of the flesh and the motivation of the Holy Spirit and grace in us. Let me give you an example. Have you ever heard of what is called a spiritual accountability group? An accountability group. It's popular in men's ministries sometimes, and that's where four or five guys would get together and they'd meet every week and they will share openly about their spiritual journey from the past week. And they give permission in the group to ask those hard questions. Have you been faithful to your wife this week? Have you been sexually pure this week? Have you kept your temper under control this week? And they know that every week they're going to report. And so throughout the week, each participant knows when he faces temptation that if he is, 
If he's going to give in to this temptation, guess what he's going to have to do at the accountability group? He's going to have to confess. Are these types of groups bad? Or are they wrong? Are they good? Well, they're not bad or wrong, not necessarily, but they can be. On one hand, the purpose of the group might be to try to get the flesh to act godly. People don't want to sin, and so having to admit it on a regular basis as some kind of punishment is supposed to bring power over the temptation. And if the goal of the group is to get the flesh to act right and produce righteous behavior, it's not only wrong, it's destructive. It's destructive because it gets the whole mind on the flesh. Let me ask you this question. Is the goal of the Christian life to eliminate sin or to know God? (laughs) Is the goal of the Christian life to eliminate sin or to know God? And let's say, okay, the accountability group is working for you. Okay, let's say that. You go all week, not one single sin in your life. Has that been your week this last week? You know, all week long, not one single sin. And it's Friday morning, time for the accountability group. And you cannot wait to get there. Why is that? You have a good report. Not one single sin. And I get to the accountability group and I'm ready to let them have it. I hear the (laughs) lame Joe over there. He tells all of his sins. (laughs) Can't wait for my turn. Gets around to me. No sin this week. Not one. And then the leader of the group turns to me and said, you just committed one. Pride. I'm here to tell you, the flesh never wins. It never works. It always fails. On the other hand, if you come to the group and you confess what has happened in your life that past week and the group embraces you and restores you back to an understanding of who Jesus is and what he can do in your life and you journey together as the body of Christ, sharing and caring for one another, it's good. That's the way the body works. That's the way our life groups ought to work. We come and we say, you know, it's been a rough week and the enemy's beaten me up and I've fallen and I've not done some things I ought to do. And the, the, the group comes around us and prays for us and says, oh, just we want the we want the fullness of Christ to come and to be their life and to be their focus and to get their focus off of the flesh and get their focus off of trying to make the flesh look good. Let's give our lives and everything that we are to Christ. And that's healthy. The other thing you see in verse 12 is it says that they compel these Christians to follow the law because the people who are trying to get them to be uh, grace plus law, they don't want to be persecuted by the Jews who aren't Christians. And so if, if you guys who are just all freedom over there, if you can come back under a little bit of <laughs> law... 
I can appease these over here and they won't persecute me. If they were only to believe in the cross for justification, they would be persecuted because it would say to all of these people, what? (laughs) Your self-efforts mean absolutely what? Nothing. The cross of Christ that freely forgives and freely accepts is offensive to all of those who are trying to earn acceptance and righteousness. It says to them, Jesus has done everything. To believe in the cross of Christ means you believe you're a sinner incapable of self-salvation. I I don't have it within me to get to that point. It means you believe that you are under the curse of God for your sin and you're going to live an eternity separated from Him. And you don't have any personal answer for it. You admit, if you believe in the cross, that you're a total failure in this righteousness. And so you accept the free gift of His righteousness. Oh, it was offensive to the Jew. And I'm telling you today, it is offensive to religious people. It is offensive to those who are committed to religion. And they will persecute. So the the point that I would make is that the flesh hates the cross. The flesh hates the cross. It hates it because it says Jesus has done everything for you because you're a total failure at being godly. (laughs) And the flesh doesn't like that. So Paul gives us the answer to the flesh and our efforts in trying to do all these things. And he says it there in verses 14 and 15. To all of you religious flesh people, he says, but may it never be that I would boast. Except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision but a new creation. So we learn a lot of things about the cross here. The first one is the cross of Christ is worthy of boasting. It's worthy of boasting. I don't have anything in my flesh that can produce fruit. So if anything, if any fruit comes out of me, I can boast in the cross of Jesus Christ. (laughs) Wow, that was a great, uh, that was a great lesson that you taught in class today, teacher. I can't boast about it. I can't take any credit for it. I can only boast in the cross of Christ that came and brought his grace to me. Man, you sure have raised godly kids. You're a great parent. I can't take any. I can't boast about that. It's only as I have allowed myself to be used by the grace of God that my kids have walked this journey with me. I can't boast about that. I can only boast in the cross of Christ. To boast, as it says here, simply means to have a high degree of confidence in something. It's not, boasting we usually confer, uh, I mean, we usually say it's a sin. 
uh, it's, it's prideful. I'm, look at me. That's not really what the word means here. It really just means that I have great confidence. I have all confidence in this. And people boast about their, fu- their flesh. I have great confidence that I can follow the rules very well. I can be a good Christian. I put confidence in me to be a good Christian. And Paul says, I don't put any confidence in me. I know me. <laughs> I only boast in the cross of what Jesus has done for me and in me. Only the cross can bring the spiritual life of God. Only the cross in us can do the work of God. And here's the work it does. It says that the cross crucifies the world to me. The cross crucifies the world to me. And we've talked about this throughout the study of Galatians, but it is so critical to revisit it one more time. That the difference between the law and grace is so profound because they're really two different ways of life. They're not two similar beliefs. They are two opposite ways of looking at everything. Because this is the, the system of the world, the law. It's about, it's about being good and rewarded or being bad and punished. It's, it's about your behavior defining you. And if you're going to be seen as a good person, well, you better not do certain things, and you better do certain things. And at some point, you're going to feel good about yourself, or the world's going to condemn you or to commendate you as being either a bad person or a good person. And then comes the grace of Jesus Christ and the cross. Does it reform the system? No. It kills it crucifies it it says we don't even want to we don't even want to think about that system we don't want to live that system that system will just condemn you over and over and over as a failure you can't do it you can't do it you can't do it let's enter into this system of grace where you accept that i can't do it and you receive the very life of god in relationship and love You see, this system over here is all about the fact that we can't trust people to act right. So we've got to externally impose things upon them. So we have laws. Can you imagine living in a place with no laws? Do you trust people with no, if we didn't have any laws? No. We have laws. We put people in prison. We hand out fines. Even personally, we'll justify resentment. They, I have a right to that. Withhold forgiveness. I can control them if I hold, withhold forgiveness. I donate money to a cause or a candidate. All of these used to exert some influence over others. Because I need them to behave a certain way. And the cross of Christ comes in and says, Under grace, you no longer find your value in that. You find your value in me. You don't find your value in how good you are. You find your value that you belong to me. That you're my child. And I'm your father. And that's what brings value to your life. And so because I've been given such great acceptance and forgiveness, I can accept and forgive those in my life. Because I've been rescued, snatched out of that system and into this glorious life with him. 
I want to help others find that truth and freedom. And when the world mistreats me, when the world criticizes me, and the world says all manner of evil against me, guess what? I am so grateful. Why? Because that doesn't define me. That's what defines these people. That doesn't define me. What defines me is who He is in me. And I can come back and I can say, thank you, Jesus, that I'm not defined by the externals. I'm defined by the internal presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. Sometimes you might even do things that are sinful. You do things that are wrong. But understanding this, you come back and you say, Lord, I took my eyes off of you. I wandered back in. I thought I could handle the situation. I, I neglected you. I just, and I tried to manage life, and it led to this kind of outcome. I want to come back to the cross. I want to come back to the crucifixion of, the, of, my, of myself and my old life and abdicate the flesh and receive your life. Paul does a little turn on the phrase there. He says in point three, he says, the cross crucifies me to the world. Not only is the world crucified to me, I'm crucified to the world. I remember when I was 21 years old and had one of those uh, seminal encounters with God. It still stands out as one of those days where God radically changed my life. I had come to Christ uh, probably seven years earlier, and through my high school years and college years, I had really wanted to be God's man. I was trying really hard to be a good Christian. Anybody ever live that kind of life? Trying really, really hard to be a good Christian. Trying to eliminate every possible sin I could. I wanted God to one day look at my life and say, that's my guy. Everybody look at him. He doesn't sin very much. And there I was that day on the side of a mountain in Colorado by myself. And I just gave up. And I remember telling the Lord, I can't do this. I'm a total failure at being a Christian. I'm sure you probably don't even want me. I'm a scar on the team, you know what I mean? Not pulling my weight very well. I said, I give up. I give up. And you know, it was years later that I realized that those are three of the most beautiful words God. <laughs> I give up. And I'm kind of a visual person, and I remember taking this visual imaginary bag and just throwing everything into it, and my future wife and kids, and what I thought my life would be like in my career, and any resource or talent or ability that I had. And it was just disgusting in my hands. You know what I'm saying? It just, it was just felt so disgusting. It felt so flesh. 
And I remember turning loose of it and just saying, Lord, I don't want this anymore, and I just want to know you. I just want to know you. And I don't care what road you lead me down. I don't care where you send me, what you want with my life. I just want you. I just want to know you. And I want to be able to tell you today that from that moment forward, I have not sinned. But guess what? There has been a constant growth in the understanding of grace. And I go back to that that moment where I realized that I was never meant to live the Christian life. I didn't have it within me to live the Christian life. Only Jesus can live the Christian life. And I needed to open up my heart and my life and say, Jesus, would you live the Christian life in me? And every time my flesh thinks it has something to offer, would you just kind of remind me that my flesh has no ability to produce any fruit and just abdicate that and reject it and say, Jesus, I just want the flow of who you are to be in my life. Would you just walk with me the rest of my life so that I can know you? And um, in that moment, I just felt like I had been set free. I feel like the load of self-condemnation had just been lifted. I felt like it didn't matter anymore what those people thought about me. I didn't even care if I hit every note anymore. (laughs) Because Jesus loved me. I was a different person. And I think sometimes this is lost on us the further we go down the road here. But you know what the cross does? It makes new creatures. It makes new creatures. It doesn't take the old you and reform it and revolutionize it. It kills it. And it says the way you used to be, you aren't anymore. You're a brand new person. 2 Corinthians 5.17, the old is gone. The new has come. And I think Christians sometimes, they, they they don't understand this. They don't allow it to be embodied in their life. And they keep, I hear things like this. Uh, yeah, I sin a lot. But after all, I'm human. You ever heard that? Yeah, I, I'm, I, I sin, but I'm a human being. What do you expect? I'm here to tell you, are you new or are you not? Are you different or are you the same? The reason a Christian will sin is not because they're just a human being and we're all relegated to that permanently. The reason they sin is because they took their eyes off of what? Jesus. And they said, okay, I'm going to handle life on my own. Or they they didn't spend time with him, or they didn't run to him, or they didn't invest in him, or they didn't 
And all of a sudden, this got sucked back over and And their flesh welled up and says, I don't like the way you treated me. And they spout off something. And all of a sudden, the flesh is dragging this. And they come to this conclusion that if I have temptation in my life and there's those moments where I fall into the flesh, then I'm really not different. I'm not really a new person. I know what the Bible says, but I don't see it in here. And so they decide that sin is accommodated by this new life, and it's okay. Rather than realizing sin is just the result of flesh living. It's separation from Jesus. It's not giving your attention over here. It's giving your attention over here. Every time a temptation comes, you say, hey, my flesh, incapable. My flesh will sin. So, my flesh, I don't want you handling this. I turn to the Spirit of Christ in me. Jesus, would you handle this temptation through your Spirit's power and presence? And do you believe that you can live with a power over temptation as a Christian? It says you can in the Bible. It says you can in the Bible. Jesus was tempted. The presence of temptation just means that you still live in a world full of sin. The secret, this is going to sound weird, the secret to overcoming sin and temptation in your life is to admit that you can't overcome sin and temptation in your life. You understand what I'm saying? You want to overcome sin and temptation in your life, you have to admit that your flesh is incapable of overcoming sin and temptation in your life. You need Jesus to overcome sin and temptation in your life. Therefore, you say, I cannot do it, I am weak. And not only am I weak, I embrace weakness. I preach weakness. I talk weakness. Because when I am weak, He is strong. And He is stronger than anything that throws at me. Paul is struggling with his thorn in the flesh over in 2 Corinthians 12. And the famous verse, he says this, a conversation he has with Jesus. He says, and He, Jesus, said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. That's Jesus' words. Now, Paul, most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. We boast about the weakness of our flesh to overcome temptation so that the power of God that dwells in us will meet those temptations. So as we wind this service down to the close, I want to ask you this. Is there any flesh at work in your life today? In the first service, they just laughed at that question. (laughs) Well, of course there is. Is there any flesh at work in your life today? Do you want to be recognized? Do you want to have... Be more valued to people. Do you want to be listened to more often and asked to help? I know they got a need down there at the church, but I'm not volunteering. They're going to have to ask me. I want to be rewarded. I want to be noticed. 
Or have you laid it aside and said, you know, I just want to see this church reach people for Christ. I want to see this, pe- this church grow people in their faith. I want to see this church train people in order to be able to be ministers in our community and to present Christ in such a healthy, united way. I just long for that. I'll do whatever I need to do in order to see that happen, to play my part in that. I don't have the ability to do any of that. I'm going to have to receive it all from Him. Do we as a church embrace the cross, which admits we don't have the answers, which admits we don't have the talents or skills or abilities, which admits we can't do it, only He can. Are we regularly coming to Jesus as a church to be available to him and so he can use us to bring his life and power into our community? Do we as a church hunger for him? For more of him? You know, I've been praying over the last few weeks, especially about our church. And I just want to, I'll just tell you, I'm a, There's a rustling in my spirit. I mean, we spent the last couple of years working towards this building. And there was an energy that was produced by that and a vision that was produced by that. And there was this, people gave money to it and people would watch it go up. And we had services out here to dedicate it. And there was this expectation of being able to accommodate more people and And now it's a beautiful place, isn't it? It's just. And so the question is, now what? Now what? And sometimes I get the feeling that. That maybe we take a collective big sigh like some people do at the end of a, some big project. Ha, finally. And I just want to say this. We are not some kind of civic organization that just does nice things for the community. We understand that? We are not just some social service organization that We are a spiritual people. We are a people who hunger for the work of God. We are a people who hunger to see God work in and through us. Or we're not a church. We come together to encounter God. We come together to hear from God. We long to see the power of God to change people. We organize that way. We pray that way. And we talked about this at our elder meeting this this past week. And we finished our time with a time of prayer for our church and For each of us. That we would lead effectively. 
in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not our goal to have a well-run organization. (laughs) It is our goal to see spiritual impact in our community. And it doesn't happen if we don't pray. It doesn't happen if we don't understand the weakness of the flesh and the beauty of the cross. I think we ought to just pray. Father, we come to you this day presenting our lives to you and saying, Lord, as we finish up this year and head into another calendar year, Father, there's something that you're rustling about in our spirit. There's something that you are rustling about in your church that I guess the word that I would come up with, Father, is the word urgency. We don't know how many days we have left. We don't know when you will come and if it will be this year or a hundred years from now. We don't know, Father God, but there is something that you are doing in your body to create hunger and urgency. And I pray, Father, that that would be who we are. I pray that we would understand the spiritual call of God upon our church, upon our lives. I pray, Father God, that you'd start with me, start with elders, start with any person here, Father God, that you would ignite a fire, a flame that says, we must see the work of God through the cross of Jesus Christ in us, in our midst. We proclaim Jesus. Christ crucified. May that be our message, our gospel. Not what we just say, but what we live. May it fill our life groups. May it fill our youth and children's ministries. May it fill our families. Father, we worship you. And we pray in these closing moments that you would, well, that you would do whatever you want to do. It's your church. It's your power. It's your, it's your glory that we seek. And so, Father, we offer our worship to you and we pray that you would stir us. Stir us. Let's sing.